Where's Waldo uh, is a series of uh, children's puzzle books that were created by a guy named uh, Martin Handford. And uh, if you've ever seen them, the books consist of uh, a series of these detailed double-page spread illustrations that show hundreds of people uh, in various settings. And the game is that you have to find Waldo uh, among this crowd. Uh, so Waldo is always dressed in this characteristic red and white striped shirt and this red and white pom-pom with these big white eyes, bespectacled uh, as they are. And so you'd think he'd be easy to find, but when you look at the picture, uh, the author deceives you with lots of red and white striped objects all over the place, and uh, it can be really hard to find. And uh, I scanned this one for 15 to 20 minutes, and I, I still have not found Waldo uh, in this picture. So uh, he can be really really hard to find because the author is trying to deceive you and his deception works. Well, not so with finding Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul explains in this section of scripture uh, that Jesus does not make himself hard to find uh, if you're seeking him. However, you need to be looking in the right places. If you're looking for salvation through the law or the doing of good works, well, you're not going to find the salvation that Jesus brings there. And so as we uh, look at a little outline of what we're going to do today, that's verse 5, what I just said, that Jesus uh, is not found, salvation is not found through the keeping of the law. Uh, verses uh, 6 to 10 tell us that righteousness is actually gained through the accessible Jesus. So we don't have to uh, climb the heights to try and bring him down to us, and we don't have to uh, descend into the depths to try and bring him up to us. No, uh, Jesus is in our midst. He's easily found. He's accessible uh, to us all by simple faith. So that's verses 6 to 10. And then in verses 11 to 13, uh, Paul tells us that, that this righteousness, this salvation through Jesus Christ is available to all, no matter who you are, no matter what your heritage is. Anyone can call on the name of Jesus, and anyone who does will be saved. So, righteousness is not based on the law. And when I say righteousness, I mean the righteousness that we need to get to heaven. Jesus' righteousness that gets given to us when we receive uh, his Son, God's Son, as Savior. So righteousness and salvation, justification, we almost use them interchangeably. We need Jesus' righteousness. When we get it, we are saved. So for Moses writes of the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who performs them, that is the law, will live by them. So we've seen in previous weeks that, that Paul has been giving us uh, a series of contrasts, uh, a series of antitheses, uh, if you will, uh, and, and he's instructed his readers to choose well. Uh, so you remember 9, 32, and 33, uh, the, the contrast was between faith and works. Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as though they could by works. So be sure you're choosing faith and not works. And then uh, verse 10.3, the contrast is between God's righteousness and their own. Uh, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And then another contrast in chapter 10, verse 4, between Christ and the law. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So choose Christ, not the law. 
And so as we come to our passage today, there's another contrast in verse 5 and in verse 6. So these are different means of trying to attain salvation. And so uh, in 10.5, Moses is speaking about righteousness that is based on the law. And this is Paul's contrast. In verse 6, he's going to talk about righteousness by faith. But verse 5 is a quotation that uh, Paul uses from Moses, actually, from the book of Leviticus. Uh, But verse 6 is a quote that Paul takes also from Moses, uh, but this time from Deuteronomy, to show that it's not by works, but it's by faith. So we want to look at this uh, verse 10.5, and I want to show us the Leviticus passage and and just talk for a second about how Paul is using it. Uh, So let's look at Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, and we can compare it to Romans chapter 10, verse 5. So here's Leviticus. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a person follows them, then he will live by them. I am the Lord. So you can see the similarities between Leviticus 18.5 and Romans uh, 10.5. And so uh, Paul is borrowing this verse, kind of loosely interpreting it. Uh, And so let's just think about the book of Leviticus for a minute. Uh, Leviticus, of course, was written by Moses. It's part of the Pentateuch, the third uh, book of the, the Pentateuch. And in it, uh, God laid out the rules for the sacrifices, the priestly ordination, what is clean and what is unclean, and and the Day of Atonement. That's chapters 1 through 16. Uh, And that tells us about God's commandments, laws that need to be kept. And then in chapters 17 to 27 of Leviticus, it's all about personal holiness that we have to have in response to God's holiness. Uh, So in context, then, uh, this Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5 Uh, God has given his laws. Now he says, you keep them. You be holy as I am holy. Keep my statutes. Keep my commands. And if a person follows them, then he will live. Now, of course, that includes the the fact that they needed to keep the law, but when they didn't, obeying the sacrificial system as well. Now, the corollary to that rule is that if a person does not keep God's commandments, then a person will not live. So that is how Paul is using this Leviticus Leviticus verse in Romans. So if you want to try to keep the law, if you want to try and be saved by the law, that's fine. If you can keep it perfectly, then yes, you will be saved. But you can't. No one ever has. It's impossible to do. Paul has already said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. So salvation through keeping the law, well, that's absolutely hopeless. It can't be done. And by failing to keep it, we are all under the curse and we would all be destined to hell had God not provided another way. Now, just thinking about this, trying to keep sal- or trying to earn salvation through the law, when I was a kid, we used to play uh, this game called Operation. Do you remember this one? It's a fun game. Uh, the way it works is that uh, players take turns. They draw a card, a doctor card, uh, and it offers you a cash prize if you're able to successfully perform the operation, which means you take your tweezer and you dig it into whatever uh, hole you have to dig it into to pull that bone out. But uh, if your metal tweezer touches the edge, 
Uh, the game buzzes, and the patient's uh, nose lights up with a bright light, uh, and, and you lose. Uh, you've lost your turn. You get one chance at it. That's it. As soon as you touch the edge, uh, you're done. You can't go back. You can't do it again. And, and so that's what salvation, by trying to keep the law, is like. Uh, one sin, and your tweezer has touched the edge, and it's over. You cannot go back. You can't undo it. You cannot erase that sin that you have committed. And so our sin has made us blemished. It's made us imperfect. It's made us unholy in God's sight. And we can't go back and undo that. So when Paul quoted Leviticus here in Romans chapter 10, he emphasized this point that there are, there are two ways to try to attain God's righteousness. Uh, one of them is by keeping the law, but we've seen that can't be done. It's impossible to do. Uh, so we praise the Lord for the second way of salvation, and that's salvation by faith in Jesus. And that's what he's talking about in verses uh, 6 to 8 here. Righteousness is gained by faith in the accessible Jesus Christ, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will go up into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. So uh, this verse, as I said, uh, Leviticus 18.5, or Romans 5, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 10 verse 5 is loosely based on Leviticus 18.5. Now these verses are loosely based on Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 to 14. So Let's take a look at those verses, uh, and we'll see what that says in context. Now, this is Moses talking about the law that he had just recently given to the Israelites. Uh, for this commandment, which I am commanding you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it far away. It is not in heaven that you could say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you could say, who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? On the contrary, the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may follow it. So in this passage, Moses is instructing or, or has instructed the Israelites uh, to know God's law, keep God's law. God has commanded it to them and he's promised them blessings for keeping it and cursings if they don't. And the point of Moses' exhortation is, is look, uh, the generation that I'm speaking to here, you have God's commands, and, and now you know them, and you can keep them. You should try to keep them. The Israelites didn't need to wonder about God's will for them, right? God had made his will plain uh, in the law, so they didn't need to ask that God's commandments be brought down. Uh, God had already sent them down through the word of Moses uh, in the Ten Commandments. And so God's commands were not inaccessible. They weren't hidden on the other side of the sea so that somebody needs to go to the other side of the sea and come back and proclaim the laws and God's will to them. Moses had already proclaimed God's law to them. And so the word of God is not inaccessible. It's near to them. Uh, it's in their midst through Moses who spoke to them. So that's how Paul is going to use this passage. Now, when we think about God, God, in, in some ways, he's mysterious, right? We can't know everything about God. In some ways, he's incomprehensible. There are some things that, that we just can't possibly understand. Uh, and in fact, the only way we know anything at all about God is how he has revealed himself to us 
uh, in nature through creation. We call that general revelation. And how he's revealed himself to us in the word, uh, we call that special revelation. Uh, so God has revealed himself to us, and if he hadn't, we wouldn't know anything at all about him. But he has revealed himself to us. So we don't need to go searching high and low uh, for God because he's made himself plain to us in what we can see in nature. Everything points back to creation. But not only that, uh, he's talked to us through his word. He has specifically spoken to us in his word. So Moses' point in this Deuteronomy passage was that the Israelites could know God's will because it had been revealed to them and it had been made plain to them. So looking back then at uh, uh, verses 6 to 8 here, we see that, that Paul is, is using Jesus in the same way, saying, look, Jesus has now been made known to you. He's accessible to you. So he takes the same principle that Moses used, uh, the word, God's commandments are knowable to you, accessible to you, and so is Jesus. Uh, God revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, who, who God sent uh, to take on the sin of the world, to, to take on human flesh, live this perfect, holy life that we could never live, and then die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And that's the gospel. God is incomprehensible in some ways, but the gospel is so simple. On the other hand, uh, when we understand it, uh, it, it's, it, all it means is that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve on himself. Uh, and so by belief in him, we get his righteousness and he takes our punishment. Uh, that is just an incredible deal. And so when God looks at us, uh, he doesn't see us in our sin-stained mess. He sees Jesus. Uh, he sees us clothed in Jesus's righteousness. And so God won't punish us because Jesus already took the punishment. The gospel is a mind-blowing concept, and we could and we should spend the rest of our days contemplating it, thanking God for it, giving him glory for it. But on the other hand, it's simple enough that even a child can understand it. So there are things about God that are really hard to understand, right? The Trinity. Uh, God is, we just sang about it, holy, 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 right? God uh, in, uh, in one essence, but in three persons. Uh, all human illustrations fall short of that. Uh, theologians use this term uh, called the hypostatic union uh, to describe how Jesus was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time, never blended, uh, never in different modes. Uh, you know, our human minds are finite. We, we fail to understand, and yet the, the Bible teaches us that this is so. Uh, but the gospel is not hard to understand. And Paul's point was that the Jews didn't need to search far and wide, high and low, east and west. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not where's Waldo, where the artist makes it hard for us to find him. God has made it easy for us to find Jesus. Jesus has already come. He's lived a perfect life. Uh, he died and he was resurrected, and he was near to anyone who was listening to Paul. So there was no need for anyone to bring Christ down. He'd already come down in his incarnation, and there's no need for anybody to raise Christ up. He's already been raised in his resurrection. Uh, and so uh, all of these things make it easy to identify Jesus. Uh, Jesus is truly one of a kind, and he's not hard to find. So the gospel is available to all. He is accessible. And just as the will of God to, to, to know and practice the law was easily accessible to Moses' people in Moses' generation, uh, so it is with salvation through Jesus Christ. It was available and accessible to Paul's first century audience, and it's available and accessible to us uh, just the same today. 
So how do we get it? How do we get this righteousness? How do we gain access to God through Jesus? Well, Paul has already established now that Christ is near. Now, we don't need to go on a quest to find him, but we still do have to receive him. So if I have a $100 bill in my hand and I extend it to you to give it to you, uh, it's going to stay mine unless you reach out your hand and take it from me, right? You have to receive that $100 bill from me. You still have to take it from my hand. And here's how we receive the gospel in verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So to confess with your mouth uh, Jesus as Lord or Jesus is Lord, uh, depending on your, on your translation, the, the word actually isn't there in the Greek, so the translator supplied either is or as, depending on your uh, translation. Uh, but either way, Jesus is Lord, Jesus as Lord. The confession is that Jesus Christ he is God. He's the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised uh, centuries ago. And this is a stumbling block for the Jews, as we talked about, because for the Jews, this would require that they would have to acknowledge and admit uh, that they had killed uh, the Savior that God had sent to them. Uh, but confession of Jesus as Lord, that's necessity, but, but it, that is the outward manifestation of belief uh, first that begins in the heart and then confesses uh, from the mouth. So you have to believe in your heart first and then you will confess. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an absolute non-negotiable of the Christian faith, right? If we don't have the resurrection, we don't have a Christian faith. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. If God raised or had not raised him from the dead, our faith would be worthless. So what is the point in belief in a dead Messiah? How is a dead Messiah going to save us? He can't. Uh, so when I was looking at the Christian faith uh, in my mid-30s, it all hinged on the resurrection for me. Uh, if the resurrection is true, well, you know, how do I explain that? Uh, and when I read all the other explanations, other than the truth, uh, that made no sense at all, uh, it was clear to me that the resurrection was true and that had implications, and that's what uh, clinched faith for me. Uh, but the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, tells us at least three things. And the first one is that God was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. If God had not been satisfied, he would not have raised Jesus from the dead, and we would still be in our sins. The second thing that Jesus' resurrection tells us is that when Jesus said, uh, it is finished, he meant that it is paid in full. Uh, the debt that we owe for our sin has been fully paid by Jesus Christ. He meant uh, that 100% of the debt owed has now been paid. His death was not a down payment to God where he said, you know, I'll, I'll put down the first 20%. Now you go pay the rest 80% uh, with the works that you're going to do. That's not how salvation is. Jesus said, I paid it all. I paid 100%. Uh, so the verse does not say, uh, if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and get baptized and go do good works and to help ladies cross the street and give money to charity and, and all these other things that we might say, uh, then we will be saved. That's not what the verse says. It says, believe and confess, and then you will be saved. That's all we have to do because Jesus paid it all. The third thing that the resurrection proves is that we 
will be resurrected too if we are found in him. If God has the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, and he does, uh, and he finds us in Christ covered by the blood so that our sins are paid for by Jesus Christ, well, the resurrection proves that he will raise us too. Jesus' physical death was not his end, and nor will it be ours if we believe in him. And that's why Jesus' resurrection is the basis uh, for the hope that we have. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then, then we are to be most pitied of all as Christians. So pathetic is our hope in this dead Messiah. But, but no, Jesus has been raised, and so our hope is in him. And so this is the way of salvation. It's so simple. It's belief. It is faith. Faith in Jesus to save us from our sins. We believe this truth in our hearts. And then out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks and confesses that Jesus is Lord. And that's why Paul reversed the order in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, the mouth confesses and then the heart uh, believes. But in verse 10, the heart believes because it's actually the heart that has to believe before the confession will happen, uh, which results in receiving Jesus's righteousness. When we believe in our hearts, we confess Jesus as Lord, we get his righteousness and he takes our sin. We are clean, we are cleansed, we are declared righteous by God, uh, and he sees us as he sees his son. And so when we think about what's required for salvation, it's belief, it is faith, and we confess that we believe that Jesus is our savior. And when we believe the confession part, it's important to tell others because that is how they come to faith, as we'll see in our great passage next week but it increases our faith and the faith of others when we hear other people's testimony. Now, there are other places in the Bible where it says we have to do other things, right? I mean, we can't ignore the fact that the Bible says repent, uh, that the Bible says do good works, that the Bible says be baptized. It, it does say those things, but let's not make them necessarily uh, an extra, an add-on uh, uh, add that we have to do in order to be saved. Repentance is actually part and parcel of our faith to begin with. We repent of our sins, which simply means that we turn away from them. We renounce our sins. We say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing this now. Uh, so it's, it's just turning away. At the same moment in time, we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. So repentance is not a separate thing that we have to do. It's part and parcel of belief, part and parcel of faith. It's two sides of the same coin. Uh, if you are driving on I-35 and you're trying to go to Dallas, but then you realize you're going to Denton, well, what do you do? You turn around, right? You turn away from the wrong direction. You turn in the right direction. It's all the same act. You're turning from your sin and toward Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, it's all it is. Uh, repentance is turning away from sin, turning toward Jesus. Baptism. Uh, baptism is something that we do uh, that we identify with Jesus Christ. It's not something that saves us. We do it out of obedience to him because he told us to do it. Uh, and we do it out of gratitude for our salvation. We do it to identify with him. Uh, there are two aspects to the baptism. We go under the water in which we identify with his death and burial. It's symbolic of his death and burial. And then when we come up out of the water, it symbolizes this new life that we have in him. Uh, but it doesn't save. We just identify with him, and we want to show the world that we want to live our new life with him. We should be baptized as believers, but realize that baptism doesn't save. 
and we're commanded to do good works also. We ought to do good works, but not as a means of achieving salvation, but out of gratitude for our salvation. So works can never save, but a person who has been saved will do good works, and the proof of their salvation is in the works that they do. They will do good works because they are saved, not to achieve it. So let's just be careful not to confuse simple faith uh, and add on to it with baptism or other works. There's no need to complicate salvation. It's by faith alone. That's what Paul is talking about in these verses. That's why the Jerusalem Council, uh, when, when, when uh, they came to that council and they said, well, don't they have to be circumcised? Don't they have to keep the law, the Gentiles as well? And they said, no, they, they don't. They, they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. And so uh, the gospel was available to the Gentiles by faith. Don't burden them with the law and circumcision. Uh, they have received it too. They, re they are saved by their belief. And so it's available to the Gentiles. It's accessible to anyone. And that's Paul's point in verses 11 to 13. The gospel is available to anyone who believes. So Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this verse 11, Paul circles back to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, that he cited in uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 32 and 33. Uh, the first part of, of Isaiah 28, 16 is, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was the stumbling stone for the Jews. The second part of 28, 16 of Isaiah is, And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Uh, so here we see Paul borrowing from that in verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So in, in chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, Paul's emphasis was on uh, Jesus as the stumbling block to the Jews. They would not be saved if they did not believe, and many of them would not. But here, Paul's emphasis is on the whoever, whoever believes in him, anyone, everyone who believes in him will be saved. Uh, so there is no one who hears the gospel, who puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, who will ever be disappointed or ashamed that he did. Now, that does not mean that the Christian life is easy, does it? Any of us who have lived the Christian life for any length of time know that the Christian life is not easy. In fact, it's hard, and, and Jesus told us it would be hard. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said we would not be put to shame. So people may try to shame us for our faith. They may persecute us for our faith. They may even kill us for our faith. But ultimately, we will never be put to shame. We will never be disappointed because in the end, Jesus will reward everyone who calls on his name. Now look, everyone dies, right? Death is inevitable. Unless the Lord returns, each and every one of us is going to die. And when we die, we are immediately going to go to either one of two places. We're either going to be ushered into Jesus' presence. We close our eyes in death in this life and open our eyes to new life in eternity with Jesus Christ immediately. That'll happen for believers. For unbelievers, uh, they will die the same death we die, but they're going to open their eyes to a very different reality than what believers are going to experience 
And so Jesus called one way of the narrow road that leads to the narrow gate that leads to salvation. And the other road is, is the broad road that leads to the broad gate that leads to destruction. So choose well. Uh, two choices, Jesus or not Jesus. Two destinations, heaven or hell. We only have this life to decide. Uh, if you've been taught that there's a place called purgatory where we can work off the penalty of our sins or, or work off the, the penalty for the sins of others, well, that's not true. It's a lie. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Uh, so we only have this life to decide and we'll choose eternity with God in heaven or apart from him in hell. And, and, and the thing is, it's so simple. It's just belief and confession. Believers will be rewarded when we, when we wake up, uh, open our eyes, and see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face uh, and be in his presence. We will not be put to shame. Our belief will be validated by where we end up. Uh, and sadly, the same for unbelievers. Their unbelief will be validated by what they see when they wake up and realize that uh, they are separated eternally uh, from God for all time. And the saddest thing is that salvation is so easy to attain. And Paul said here, and even more explicitly in Galatians chapter 3, uh, it's available to everyone. Here he says, uh, to the Jew and the Greek, uh, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. In Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 28, he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, nor slave nor free. Uh, you are all one in Christ Jesus salvation is accessible to all. Romans 10, 12 here, for there is no distinction. All who call on the name of the Lord, all will be saved. And then verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quotation from Joel chapter 2. Uh, we looked at this in Sunday school several months ago. We looked at this a couple years ago when we studied Acts. Uh, Peter borrowed this quotation from Joel Chapter 2, you remember at Pentecost when uh, the Holy Spirit came down uh, and, and filled the believers and the bystanders there said, uh, these people are drunk. They're, they're acting like they're drunk. And, and Peter said, no, they're not drunk. Uh, this is what has been prophesied from Joel, uh, that, that, Joel uh, that, that God would send his Holy Spirit and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so now Paul uses the same verse to stress that everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. Now, we have been talking extensively through this section, uh, Romans, end of Romans 8 uh, through Romans 9, about God's sovereignty and salvation. And God is sovereign in salvation. God decides, God elects. And at the same time, here again, we have to notice that there is a human responsibility side to salvation. We ourselves, we must, we must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And everyone who does will not be disappointed. They will be saved, which is the proof that they have been elected. And so even though God elects who are his, uh, all who turn to him will never be put to shame, which shows that they are the ones that God elected. So believe, and you are among God's elect. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I hope we see that the gospel is accessible to absolutely everyone. There is no one beyond the reach of the gospel, uh, but it must be received. We have to receive it, and we receive it by faith, believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. So let's just finish with a couple of applications. 
And the first one you can probably guess, becoming a Christian is easy. I've said it many times. Uh, So many people think that becoming a Christian is hard. It's not hard. Uh, But a lot of people think they have to, you know, clean up their act. Uh, They have to get things right. They have to kick this habit or, or kick that habit before they can be acceptable to God, before God would ever accept them. And nothing could be further from the truth. Becoming a Christian is as simple as believing that we are sinners and and turning to him for our salvation, believing that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's it. I would say that being a Christian is hard, right? Being a Christian is hard because now God does expect us to clean up our act and kick this habit or that habit and, and do the good works that he's asked us to do, but that's after we're saved. Uh, That's after we're saved. So being a Christian is hard, but becoming a Christian could not be easier. So whenever you meet someone who says, you know, God would never accept me, you don't know the things that I've done, I hope that you remember Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart uh, that Jesus has been risen from the dead, and you will be saved. So there's nothing for that person to do other than to believe. God will accept everyone, and he'll accept anyone. Uh, He accepted you, right? And he accepted me. Uh, So there is no one outside of God's reach. Uh, Becoming a Christian is easy. On the other hand, becoming a Christian is hard. (laughs) What do you mean? Uh, You just said becoming a Christian is easy. Well, it is easy. Uh, But it's also hard because it requires us to swallow our pride. It requires us to admit that we are sinners, that we can't do this on our own, uh, that that we're not good enough uh, in ourselves to achieve salvation. It causes us to to recognize that we are sinful people uh, and we're deserving of hell. And if left to our own devices, that's just where we're going to land. So uh, this gospel causes us to evaluate our lives. It, It causes us to concede that we've made a mess of our lives, that we can't fix it, and that we need a savior. And so we want to save ourselves, but we're forced to admit that we cannot save ourselves. And we have to confess Jesus is Lord, which is hard because we want to be Lord. And so we have to take ourselves off the throne and we have to give him his rightful place on the throne. And so we have to submit to God's authority. And if you came to faith later in life like I did, uh, you may have bristled against the idea of God's authority for a long time. God's not in charge. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my own life. And, and it takes a good humbling sometimes. You need a spanking from God to, to realize that he truly is on the throne and that you will submit to his authority. But uh, believing was the best decision I ever made, and I'm sure you all would agree. It takes the burden off of us, and it leaves that burden at the cross, at Jesus' feet. So if you are struggling to become a Christian for any reason, for for any of these prideful reasons, or if you know someone who is, the answer is so simple. Just let it go. Let your pride go. Uh, Forget uh, that uh, you, uh, forget any notion that you are in control of this. Uh, God is in control. Submit to him and lay your sin and your burden at Jesus's cross. And you'll get to experience how the love of God feels. There's this feeling inside of knowing that you have God's love and forgiveness, that your sins have been forgiven, that you'll be in heaven with Jesus forever, basking in his love and his glory for all eternity. 
So submit to God's authority, experience his love, believe and be saved. Salvation is accessible to all. Jesus is one of a kind, and he's not hard to find. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you for the simplicity and the clarity of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Lord, we believe that. We confess that as true. And Lord, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who has not yet believed and made that simple confession, I pray that they would do that today, Lord. I pray that they would be touched in some new way, that they would have heard the gospel in some way, uh, that they had not heard it before, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, and Lord, that they would be saved. Lord, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.